I always love saying this. We can edit that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> it never gets edited. <laughs> everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. <coughs> Half dead, Steve. That's right. Happy Halloween. <coughs> Working on three quarters. Yeah. We are talking Edge of Sundown, uh, the second part of the Weird West Anthology, published by Chaosium and edited by... Kevin Ross and Brian M. Sammons. All right. As, as M opposed... stands for mm. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Mmm. <laughs> oh shit. Is it is it is it mmm as in like Campbell's soup mmm or is it mmm as in as in Things that make you go. Mm. I was thinking Campbell's soup. Ah, so, so Brian Salmon's is mm, good. Right, probably the the low sodium variety though. <laughs> Campbell's soup's got some salt in that shit, which makes it the perfect soup for us. Apparently, because we got more salt than fucking Utah. That's right, fucking dabbers. All right, so to start off this week, uh, we're doing uh, stories numbers five through nine. Uh, starting off with Forked Tongue by Cody Goodfellow. Yes. Now, I think the, the <laughs> last the last thing we did for the show that was Cody Goodfellow was just like something supremely fucked up. Yeah, it was the last thing I remember doing with Cody Goodfellow was that um was the Pulver anthology. Yes. Um the Madness Caligari. of Dr. Caligari. And Cody's story in that was was a big what the fuck. Right. This one not so much. No, but it's still it's a it's a it's still a good story. Oh yeah. And and you know they can't all be psychedelic trip fests. It's close though. It's close. Yeah, it's this, is, this is closer to a fever dream than a than a psychedelic trip fest. Yeah. So what you have is a uh, an an Apache who has been captured by a bounty hunter who is half Comanche, mm-hmm. um, who is rotting away in a jail cell, waiting to be hanged. And uh, the bounty hunter doesn't think that his job is completely done. He thinks that there's more to it than what he was hired to do, which was to capture on this guy, Cazador, and his gang. So he wants to find out who put him up to this big train robbery that resulted in the deaths of important um, Eastern politicians. Presidential appointees at that. Yes. Yeah, and so of course we get the the horror element as uh, our bounty hunter unleashes snake medicine upon the Apache. Yeah, he does that unknowingly though. 
I, mm-hmm. he doesn't, I don't, he doesn't know what he has. He's just been told by the, uh, by the elders, shaman, by yeah. the shaman of uh, the Apaches that this will make, um, make him talk, talk. And it does make, it doesn't work. It doesn't make him talk, but he shit his pants <laughs> because it, it's, it's, uh, basically a magic snake mm-hmm. that, um, bites him. Right. Not only bites him, but bites him at such a heart, such strength that the fangs break off. Yes, and, and throughout the course of the story, the effects of the venom of this magic snake um, become more and more apparent. Right. Um, so our so Sandor is uh, brought to the gallows, hanged by the neck until dead. Kind of. Cut down, brought to be buried, and then uh, gets up and escapes. And and our our lovely bounty hunter is well. I I guess they're not going to pay you. He's like, hell no, they're going to pay me twice. Yeah. So he goes after him. (coughs) Pardon me. Um, Yoinks a horse from from a bunch of cavalry that are passing through because that was an interesting little uh exchange too is that you know the officers all like oh get out of my way engine and this other dude's like that motherfucker saved my life and all my men's life he can have whatever damn horse he wants try and bring it back (laughs) take my horse take my horse please I promise I'll uh I'll bring it back. Sorry, didn't happen. It never happens. You never bring the fucking horse back in these no. stories. Horses, speeders, they never end up getting back. Um so he tracks down the reanimated Cazador um to Tucson. And as he, it is Tucson, right? In a while, I don't want to say the wrong. Come on, help me out. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed what you just said. Oh, I said he tracks. He tracks the. Uh, he tracks Casador to Tucson. Well, at first he uh, he Tucson? he loses track of him. He loses track of Casador. He loses him in the woods. Uh, the Casador's horse uh, he finds dead uh, with like welts and and uh, like blisters and stuff like that. Just contact from extreme amounts of uh, rattlesnake venom. Yeah, it's and, and it's so so bad that the vultures that tried to eat the horse got poisoned. But there was no sign of of Casador. Um, he had apparently stripped off his clothes and ended up apparently like shedding his skin like a snake. Right, which you know happens. <laughs> right, our our bounty hunter, using his his expert knowledge, eventually tracks that um, he would go to Tucson. And he decides that he's going to go and try to look into why he's going to Tucson. Right. Um, now I want to see if I can do this with names, which might not happen. Yeah, I'm 
don't have my copy handy. It's over on the other side of the room. Um, okay, so uh, John Boland is the territorial governor. Of yeah. Arizona, and his aide, whose name I can't fucking remember, his aide is the one who uh, basically initiated the action of the story by hiring Casador to kill the incoming uh, replacement. Mm -hmm. Right. The, uh, and it's, it's a very complicated and interesting plot because you, you kill the presidential appointee. Uh, he then gives the, it gives the governor the kind of this, like it all, it's almost a false flag attack. Yeah, that's exactly, and, and it's really given. It's it's set engineered so that one, the governor's not replaced, and two, he has this um, justification to just really crack down on the Native Americans in in that territory. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> and uh, it all gets foiled because mm -hmm. Casador went back to the source to end it. Right. Casador goes back to the source to end it, but our bounty hunter decides that, you know, Casador is actually in the right at right. this point. For once, because Casador has a bad reputation and it's been established at the beginning of the story that his actions um, with train robbery and murders have basically taken the Apache nation and um, destroyed it. Mm-hmm. But but he's also suspicious because, you know, assassinating a political appointee is not his style. It's right. not his M.O. He, he's a he's a train robber. He's a train robber. He's a he's a low grade bandit at best. Right. You know, it's it's a Western. Mm -hmm. He's a Western villain. Yep. But he finds out that uh, that Casador really isn't the bad guy. Now that he's seeking revenge and decides to help a little bit, he gets in a fight with the aide and kills him. <coughs> Pardon me. And then dumps his body, <laughs> dumps his body into the fucking uh, state house right. while while uh, well, there's this big session. press conference about like, well, we promised to bring law and order to the territory. Obviously, the the. The uh, the federal government doesn't know what it's doing. They can't even protect their own appointees. But we promise, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. We are going to make America great again. Yeah, and it, it's the story works on on a few levels. First off, it's just as a straight up weird story. It's really cool mm -hmm. because you get to track this guy who's shedding his skin through the desert. Right. <laughs> you know, cool stuff like that. It, it you 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 know if you're familiar with mythos. You, the first thing that pops into your mind is, oh, it's a yig story, but it's not. It's, it's just not snake medicine. Mm -hmm. um, it, it does a very good job of going into the being weird and supernatural without invoking Lovecraftian right. and, and uh, without, entities. And without going over the top with it. It's, it's No, no, very subtle. It's it's yeah, it's a little bit of a subtle thing. It's it's you know, folk magic, mm -hmm. um, shamanism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and just a little dab of it. Right. It, it's not dominating the story. The story itself is very clever political drama. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and a bit of a crime drama. Yeah. So um, it works well in, in more than one way. You could have actually taken the whole snake medicine thing out of the story and just had a straight up good old Western. Yep. Yep. You have the revenge motif. Uh, you know, revenge, justice, this sort of thing, and that justice is not always something that comes at the at at the according to the rule of law. Right. Sometimes, sometimes there's a more primal order to things to to get to justice, which you see a you see a lot in westerns and 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 a lot of different type of action genre pieces. Yes, this very well could have easily have been a nineteen. 19- like a mid eighties anthrax song. Mm-hmm. Mid eighties anthrax song, a John Ford movie, <laughs> yeah. a Kurosawa film, yeah. and, you know, anything yeah. like that. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it was a really good story. And, and actually it was the last story we got into in the first section of the read, but before the technical difficulties, the mysterious evil happened. Mm hmm. Uh, next, we have The Buzzard Women by Christine Morgan. Yeah. And what we have here is we have it's it's a short story. It's it's a little bit longer than some of the other stories in the book that we've read so far. But that's because you have m- just these multiple POV characters all converging to this one point. Yeah, I really I really like that aspect of this story. And it, it's the first story that we read in this anthology, I think that hasn't been like a straight traditional narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Most of it's, you know, one, two characters, something like that. Um, but this one, yeah, you start off, um, with a, a, a man essentially tied to a rock. Uh, yeah, he's bound in wet rawhide and it's the fucking West. So the sun comes up, starts drying out the rawhide and if you've ever dealt with like leather or anything like that when it's wet and dries, it's 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 awful. Bluebird. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, it starts off like um it's almost a, a scene out of a Conan story in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um specifically um a witch shall be born, I'm thinking of the crucifixion scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah so this guy and then it but it's it's not even the fact that he's like bound and being being slowly tortured by the arizona heat or wherever it is i think it's utah it's but it's what happens to him at the end because mm-hmm. you, you expect like at this point somebody to come by and say so where's the treasure buried mm-hmm or you know, or whatever, or this is what you get for killing my pa. Or, or even you know, some random do-gooder comes and cuts him loose. Right. Instead, but, he gets uh, ripped apart. Right. <laughs> eaten, eaten alive. But by, I think he can't even. He can only see out of the corner of his vision. Right. So which essentially are humanoid humanoid birds. Right. Well. Is, is right. how he describes it. Yeah, and, and you put it together because the story is called The Buzzard Women, and mm-hmm. buzzards are basically, you know, they're... They, they eat dead things. That's right. <laughs> they eat the things that are already killed for them and left right. out to rot. Or, right. Dead or soon to be dead. Right. 
But um, yeah, then we start. The, the key information is you get a little bit of backstory of this guy, and you learn that he has a buddy in the town that he was going to who mm. can uh, put who can help him lay low for a while because this guy's right. obviously he's an outlaw. He's an outlaw and a bad hombre. He's a bad man. So we switch to another perspective, another character who's who's in a small town. He's sitting at the saloon. Um, he's looking for his sister who left Chicago to come out here to seek her fortunes um, as, as a mail order bride. Yep. And you uh, talking to the bartender and you come to find out the person who set this uh, mail order bride thing up is the same person that our first guy was going to go to to lay low. Mm-hmm. It's like Smile and Stan or something like that. Yeah, and then you also find out that this town, people haven't heard anything from about this town in months. Right. It's essentially a dead town. And they describe that happens. Mm-hmm. That these towns, they crop up and, you know, the creek dries up. So, right, creek dries up, mine collapses, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's literally one horse town. Yeah. Now one of the best one of the best scenes so far is just so classical western is that you know once our hero character who's an army veteran aren't they all yeah that's well you know that it's a good way to get a gun i suppose in a western instead of going and buying one um you know he's sitting there he's drinking his he's drinking his liquor and um, they're talking about it. He realizes that this guy's rather nefarious sort, and he just asks everyone in the room, anybody on good terms with him? And he's got, like, his hand resting yeah. on the butt of his gun. Yeah, it's definitely... <laughs> it definitely evokes a lot of uh, of imagery. Yeah. And, and, and when everybody like, when everybody says, no, I, you know, we don't want anything to do with that motherfucker, he's like, Drinks on the house, on me, for everybody. <laughs> and then our third POV is a uh, a couple mm-hmm. that are making their way west, um, eloping, kind of. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously, she thinks that um, this kid's going to marry her, and the kid has other ideas. Right. He's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm getting the milk for free. Yeah, and and you don't know what his motivations are, but you know they're definitely not um, what she thinks they are. Right. And right. Uh, they get accosted outside of this town as well. And uh, <coughs> pardon me. Sorry. Right. He's he's sweet talking her, you know, with like honeyed words of, you know, we're going to get to this little town and, and we're going to strike it rich. I'm going to get a job here. You're going to be able to sing and, and then you'll be famous and we'll be able to move to like San Francisco and Yeehaw. more famous and all this other stuff. And we'll be rich beyond our wildest dreams. It's like, he's a schemer is, is, is the idea that I get off of this character. Yeah. yeah kind of like a, a, a minor huckster. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And the name of the town, this mysterious town, is Vixby. Right. Right. So they get accosted. Um are after, after drinking the water. 
after drinking the water, which is not very good. It tastes no, oily and coppery. Yeah, and uh, it makes she doesn't drink a lot, but he does, and he gets he gets ill. Right. Um, like hallucinations, lying in bed ill. Yeah, uh, and then they get attacked. And she wakes up in a being escorted into the cave by a group of old women in what appears to be masks. And yeah, masks. but but when she wakes up, it's kind of weird because she was still semi hallucinating. So right. you don't get that masks kind of feel. You get like this feel of that they are like hybrid right. bird women. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, really well done because a- as the story progresses and the different people view these things, um, the image of what they actually are becomes more and more focused. Right, right. And 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 Christine does a really good job at not giving us like the Scooby-Doo ending with it. Yeah, even though it is kind of a Scooby-Doo-ish ending. Right. She, she, she avoids that, that kind of reveal. Right. It's a slow, it's a slow reveal. Um, and then our, our hero gets to Vixby and finds that Vixby is a ghost town. Yeah. The only, the only person, the only people alive are some children and one crazy old bastard who doesn't drink the water because, you know, fish fucking it. Right. And, and he runs around naked. And he, he runs around in his undies. Ah. You gotta love the old West. Yep. Crazy coots and diapers. Crazy coots and diapers. That's the trick there, Sonny. I don't drink the water. You don't have enough of that proof in it. But um, he is able to track um, to a, a canyon. Mm-hmm. It's like a box canyon where they're where they're all holed up, and uh, comes upon a horrible scene. Right. Which, uh, our our low grade huckster is uh, next up on the dinner plate. Right, and his his uh, girlfriend has been offered the the choice of mm-hmm. join us or join him. Join us or die. And, you know, it's a pretty easy choice. He is in the process of becoming a buzzard woman. Mm -hmm. When when our hero stumbles upon this scene. And uh, he comes to a revelation himself. Yep. And that his his missing sister is one of the buzzard women. Yeah. And he gets in, you know, we have a pretty spectacular uh, battle sequence in the last third of the story. There's a nice fight. <coughs> and uh, during the fight, he, he recognizes his sister, which uh, probably saves his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you, you come to find out the whole story is something was in the water. Yep. And uh, there you go. So she takes and the... Uh, she takes the old adage, don't drink the water, and, and just, like, runs with it. Right. So, so you had something in the water causing these women who are all um, mail-order brides um, who ended up working in a whorehouse mm-hmm. uh, for a very horrible man. <clears throat> and and uh, after the water became whatever it became, um, they turned on him in a just a frenzy, a hallucinogenic frenzy. Mm-hmm. 
and that killed him and then just started branching out from there right they basically killed everybody in the town who mm-hmm. was complicit um with what was going on right right and and they essentially became kind of this like cult yeah. they don't really worship anything but they're they're still kind of a cult yeah it kind of it, it kind of reminded me of um I don't know if you saw Bone Tomahawk. No. Yeah. I can't say I recommend Bone Tomahawk. I know a lot of people liked it. I really didn't. But um, it, it's got that same, like, kind of the the, the bad guys, the monsters, are um, humans that are basically inhuman. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and, and it's just got that, that same kind of vibe. Where were they, you know? They're cannibals and right. And that was the Buzzard Women. Uh, next up, we have the Flute Players uh, by Bruce L. Pretty. Yeah. Now this this went from just like a normal western to batshit insane. Yeah, this one. Out of all the ones we've read, this is the one that would be the Call of Cthulhu scenario. Mm-hmm. Although, although the next one on the list is is pretty close. Yeah, but this is the the first one that that we got. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this one is a couple of bounty hunters. Are are you know we we're, it's opening up. We have more bounty hunters uh, from There's back a lot east. Of bounty hunters in the in the old west. There's a lot of places to get lost, so you need some rough and tumble motherfuckers. To go and find the people who do bad. Yeah, so um, they're looking for a family that um, did not uh, pay their taxes. Is that it? And skipped out? Yeah, they, they skipped out on like paying their taxes and like offering up service to, to Lincoln during the Civil War. Yeah, yeah. So, which is, it's kind of funny. Um, it was the other side of the conflict. But, uh, uh, Milton Davis's Bass Reeves story um, mm-hmm. had a similar premise where you had um, bounty hunters were were looking for a uh, Negro family that was accused of doing the same thing only on the Confederate side. Right. Except it probably didn't end with monsters. No, no, that was straight up Western. <laughs> um, now... They get to the they get to the estate. They we we see them. They're they they have an unconscious woman draped across the back of a horse, and a Native American battered and bloody and being led along with a rope. Yeah, it it, it kind of just like pops you right into everything. Mm-hmm. It, it it drops you. It drops you like halfway in. Yeah, you had a good twelve hours of action that happened before, and mm-hmm. um, that you just like. It just smacks you. That's what it is. People are already dead and dying. <laughs> right. Um, so comes to come to find out that uh, you know they 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 came they had come to this homestead earlier, checked everything out a little bit, realized everybody was gone, tracked the girl to this Native American's house. Um, things got a little weird. They shot his wife, took him prisoner. Had the girl. They think he had something to do with the whole thing. He, he claims not. He claims not. He claims to be a good Christian man who found her in a field and was trying to help her out. 
Uh, turns out he is telling the truth. Yeah, they, they, Bruce does a really good job of juxtaposing the uh, the supposed savage and who's not really a savage mm-hmm. um, and his actual sincerity of right. action with the um, the hypocrisy and and uh, just I guess just using your authority to to do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. Um, of the bounty hunters right in fact one of the 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 noble savage trope is actually played by one of the bounty hunters right um you know who turns out to be you know he's oh i'm starting to like this guy yeah that's kind of like a begrudging like yeah it's kind of a begrudging like and and it's very very too little too late right Absolutely, but the other the other bounty hunter is just a disgusting scumbag. Yes, they're they're definitely not the same character, which is nice because you know in situations like this, it's very easy to have um, you know the same guy with two different voices. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and while the bounty hunters are still bad cop and worse cop, um, you know you you do you do tend to like sympathize with one over the other, and and one is semi-reasonable. Bad cop is semi-reasonable as opposed to just like a ball of stupid hate. Right. Which is worse cop. Right. And so a storm comes. So everything we just talked about was the backstory. Right. This is just the backstory and the lead up. And and, and <laughs> the storm comes. And when the storm comes is when everything starts going batshit crazy. Right. They start to hear... Freaking noises, mm-hmm. whispers, hence the name of the story. Right. Little tones that kind of sound like flutes. Yeah. Uh, they find they find drawings on rocks uh, that look like you know. It makes me make me think of uh, Cocapelli, right? Yeah. Um, but they're definitely not. It's far far worse. Um, so the rain comes and, and it's almost like it has this vibe, like pitch black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's got that kind of, it's, it's, or, or even the most recent Riddick movie where, where it it, kind of actually happens very similarly where Everybody takes refuge in this one building. The rains come, and then the monsters come up out of the ground. I was going to say, it kind of reminded me of um, uh, Black Man with a Horn. Kind of had that same vibe mm-hmm. at, at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 creatures come. The flute players, who we find out are responsible for the death of the family. Right, and um, once. Once the um, the girl w- gains consciousness, mm-hmm. she freaks out. You brought me back here, right? Yeah, she was ready to go and chuck it all and head back east, right? And uh, she it turns out that she it was her curiosity that initially woke up the creatures in the first place, right? And yeah, sorry, it, it's got. A little bit of that uh, Robert E. Howard um, Hill People mm-hmm. flavor to it as well, where you have like these 
these subhuman creatures um, that dwell in, in the land wherever it's. I think that's in Ireland or Scotland. I can't remember which. Mm-hmm. That um, that that we the tourists or whoever the, the newcomers end up uh, disrespecting and waking. Right. And they come and get you. Mm-hmm. It does have like a a, a, a fey folk kind of vibe to it as well. Um, yeah, and these these are these are just bloodthirsty creatures that are like mosquitoes on steroids. Yeah, but in a way, they're kind of like once they show up and and you, you realize that you've got like millions of these things happening, and they they provide you with a way out. There's fire kills them. Mm-hmm. Well, um, bullets kill them too, but they make a point to tell you we don't have enough bullets for this. Yeah. The, the real drama um, is now the interpersonal interactions between right. bad bad cop, worst cop, and, uh, and and the Native American guy. Mm-hmm. And that is really like the strength of the story. There is because, like you said, like it's got like you know, pitch black and, and, you know, the, the hill people and, and that kind of vibe to it. And that's been done before. Right. We, we all hate each other, but we have to work together in order to yeah. survive. This. And, and, you know, that, that like the, the second act of a uh, night of the living dead, got mm-hmm. that kind of vibe to it. Right. The original black and white. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah, so so uh, Bruce does a really good job with with, mm-hmm. with, with that dynamic. It's a very uh, it's <coughs> very it's very good. It's very well done. Uh, you know, we lose worst cop, of course, in a horrific scene. Yeah, well, I kind of cheered. Yeah, it's but it's still horrific. And, it, and, you know, it's just one of those things that, and it becomes this no-win situation, almost kind of an Alamo situation. Yeah, but uh, it's what, Henry is the name of the Henry. Native American. Uh, but he just has the greatest, the greatest revenge line at the end, where he's, like, been beaten and tortured by these guys, and, they, and he and, and Bad Cop strike up a... Uh, an alliance of mm-hmm. sort, which a uh, bad cop is very quick to, to you know, give up on. And uh, the creatures come, and and <laughs> Henry, you know, he's pleading for Henry to help him, and Henry holds up his crippled fingers. And, this is my shooting hand. Goes into the bathroom, locks himself in. Yep. Hi. Then leaves leaves the girl. Yeah, well, the girl is kind of fucked to begin with, right? Because that that's who they wanted in the first place. Yeah, and you know everybody else was standing in the way. So so Henry just kind of like he goes and he's like he locks himself in the bedroom and decides to pray till morning. Yeah, and, hope, and we don't know if Henry got out yeah, or not. We don't know. I like to think he did, but that's you know I I, I think. It's, I, I think it's best that it kind of like he, you know, fades to black on him closing and locking that door. Yeah. You know, and it's what happens next. 
doesn't really matter. Right. You, know, there's, you don't really need that denouement. Yeah. You know, that he walks out the next day, you know, traumatized by the experience. It's like it, at that point, it doesn't really matter. All the drama has been taken care of. The right. big climactic moment was this was my shooting hand. Yeah. And uh, at this point, you know, is it uh, are you a glass half full or half empty person? That's how mm-hmm. it ends. Right. Right. The, it's it's choose your own ending. Right. Uh, next up, we have uh, In Thunder's Shadow by Edward M. Erdelak. Very short story. It's a very short story. Um, oh, wait, no, that's the long one. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that, yeah. Whispers was the short one. Whispers was kind of short. Silver Wolf is short, Silver too. Wolf. Yeah, Silver Wolf was super But short. In Thunder's Shadow is is great. This is this is a... Uh, you know, you as you said, the flute players was kind of the Call of Cthulhu adventure. Yeah. In Thunder's Shadow is kind of the pulp Cthulhu adventure. Yeah, this is uh Yeah, I could see that. Um what we have is we have a paleontologist from back east uh who has shown a sample of, of fossil yeah. it's from uh, He's from Yeah. He's shown a fossil of a of a creature that of of a dinosaur, essentially, or right. a pterosaur. It's a pteranon or something. Yeah. Um, so he comes out to see if he can find more fossils, and he he hires himself this this rugged mountain man as a guide, and he's he like hires Wes. I know Wes has to be mentioned contractually in every episode. Right. He hires Wes. He hired Outback fucking Jack. Yep. Essentially. Um and. Our our mountain man is sitting there. Is like I don't know why you'd be hanging around with them bones. I've seen a live one. <laughs> right here we go. <laughs> right, and it's just like boom, like right right into it. Here we go. Um, and and yeah, they're sitting there. He's talking. They're talking about it at the campsite, and he's like, "Yeah, one of these days, I did. You know, it, I took my bear that I was trying to get. I had a bounty on a bear." Um, and yeah. as they're talking about, you know, how he wants revenge on this, on this, you know, giant bird thing that took the bear from him, the fucking thing attacks. <laughs> yes, it, it attacks and, and, and it decimates their camp. Mm-hmm. Decimates and, their uh, camp. It's the middle of a fucking thunderstorm. Right. And, and now, now, uh, Professor is ready to go home, right? And uh, Outback Jack basically calls him a pussy, right? And 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 reveals the true reason he wants to to down. Mm-hmm. If you eat their heart, you gain their strength. And he figures, he figures if he eats one of these, <laughs> the heart of one of these creatures, he'll be able to fly. Yeah, so he's like this old coots, and they're going. Guess how old I am? Yep, he's I like a zillion, he's a zillion years old because he eats the heart of bears. Right for strength and stuff. Yeah. Now, even funnier is that you know you say you say the old old mountain man is Wes's character. You know, it's somebody else's character playing the professor because one of those pack mules was strapped with dynamite. That'd be another Wes character. It's two West characters. West versus West, right? Um, 
and arm you know the things coming and he's like oh, i'm gonna get it you know or shoot the mule the out of a mercy killing or something like that shoots the shoots the mule the bullet hits the pack the fucking dynamite explodes and he's like what the fuck you have in there uh i brought dynamite in case we needed to blast for the fossils well he is a paleontologist and they do dig and use dynamite well and this is also you know the the 19th century and and you know, paleontology wasn't that exact of a science. It still isn't. Uh, it's a little more precise than just blasting it and going, okay, that's a bone. That's a bone. This creature had eight legs, two wings, and, well, a, and, and a four it's, heads. It's still not a precise science, but its methodologies have gotten a little bit better. Right. You know, this is, but you know, this is some PT Barnum shit here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the pterosaur is injured. They go off to track it to get its heart, and apparently the buzzards have already gotten it, which pisses the man off to know the the mountain man off to know. Right. So he starts climbing to the peak of uh, whatever mountain they're on. Right. And he's like, "Well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing?" He's like, "Well, I pretty much wager that that." He's like, we got to cut some of this up and bring a specimen back to Yale for study. He's like, how about a live one? You know, and he's just like plays on this guy's desire. Yeah, he just strings him along. With one big find. He strings him along the entire time. Mm-hmm. And they find the nest. And he's like, ah, oh, you're strong enough to climb up there. He must have eaten the heart of an owl because he's wild. He ate the heart of a fox. <coughs> All right. Um, yeah. So he, he gets he gets a professor to act as bait. Right. Go into the eggs and attract the mate of the uh, pterosaur that they had just killed, so he can kill it and eat its heart. Right. And it works. Well, the plan. It's a it's a good plan. If it's a good plan, you you want to go attack eggs. Mom's coming. Or dad. They didn't really they they didn't really specify because they just how didn't can you, how can you tell? Look for the cloaca. <laughs> <laughs> it is a reptile. <laughs> um you need a probe. <laughs> So the the other the other of the mating pair comes along and attacks uh our mountain man decides that you know he's going to take a couple pot shots at it big you know dramatic scene with the the giant creature ensues um and he you know our our scientist does get in and get himself an egg he does he um he comports himself very well Manages to get an egg, survive the encounter, and get down the mountain. While the mountain man says, "Oh, yeah, let's do it," and you know, and he gets impaled by the thing's beak, and he's just climbing along. Oh, I'll kill you with my bare hands, motherfucker! Kalima. Yeah, it's and it's great. It just it's it's insane. Now, now it's definitely an over the top kind of thing happening there. Yeah. Now, as I was reading this story. 
and 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 thinking about the buzzard women flute players and in thunder's shadow uh first off there's an old like urban oh, legend it, it was the dad sorry yeah it, it, there's, there's an old urban legend that a pterosaur was actually shot out in the western territories in in the 19th century and there was a photograph taken of course the photograph is missing but you know it was you know people it, it became kind of this word of mouth thing like i remember reading about it in such and such a newspaper and it just gets passed down passed down but nobody can find the original photograph hmm. um you know but you're thinking about it and even today in the 21st century you know the western part of america is just expansive there's a lot of area that there's nothing right and you have spots where there are ghost towns and things like this. And so, you know, you're kind of thinking about it and there is that that sense of isolation that's, you know, supposed to be a trope of the cosmic horror, weird fiction and whatnot. And it's, you know, there's lots of room for stuff like this to exist. No, it's true. And, and you know, you know, there could be a cult of buzzard women living out there subsisting off of you know, poor travelers and people they lure to this one ghost town. Um, you know, the flute players, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's, you know, these isolated places, you know, people would go out, stake out a claim, live there, possibly even die there. Nobody even knows. Yeah, well, you know, that's part of the, the premise of the actual story, The Curse of Yig, mm -hmm. is you had like these isolated people and their snake fetish. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, this was one of the things that adds to the, the kind of ambiance of the stories is that all of these stories take place, you know, yeah, we're, we're sitting there, we're observing it, but when you really sit down and think about it, these, all of these events are taking place in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It, it's miles and miles from civilization. You had like this physical isolation as opposed to like in your typical like Lovecraft type story where you have like social isolation mm -hmm. or economic isolation. Right. Um, and here you're act it's actual isolation. Mm -hmm. <coughs> it's very, it's very hard pressed in the East um, to, to be the only person within a 20 mile radius or whatever, 50 mm -hmm. mile radius. It's, it's impossible. Right. Um, but, you know, you can do it. You can still do it. Out the West. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit harder these days, but especially back then, you know. You could be the only person for 100 miles. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's one of the great things about it is, you know, it's like all of, all of these events could actually be occurring simultaneously. That's right. In different parts of the West. And none would have come into contact with the other, which kind of makes it really interesting and, and kind of makes you sit down and think about it, about how big, you know, the, the, the West is or was. Uh, the final story we're going to look at tonight is uh, Silver Wolf by Andrew Kelly. And really, you can summarize this story by when you set out for revenge, it's best to dig two graves. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, what we have is uh, we have a you know Big Jim, I believe his name is Big Jim. Um, you know, pretty common name there, Big Jim. Uh, I, I, I suppose to book Jim is is part of a community, uh, a bunch of settlers who have been plagued by a, a a band of raiders led by this this man named Silverwolf, right? Who's apparently a sorcerer who can change shapes and he has magic and he's been able to elude capture from the authorities for quite a while. Right. And and that's not a question. That's a fact from the story. It's not like big Jim doesn't believe in magic and right. learns his lesson. <coughs> Pardon me. Big Jim knows what's up. Right. And he don't care. Right. Cause big Jim. Right. He's like, my Jesus will protect me more than, you know, it's more powerful than your magic. And in such certain way, you have that kind of, you know, dual of faith is like, you know, my faith is stronger than your faith. Right. And you know, it gives me power. But, but turns out Silver Wolf's not. You know, Silver Wolf is the real deal and Big Jim knows it and Big Jim experiences it. Uh, almost track him down. He has, you know, he's sitting at a camp and a large wolf comes right out of the forest. And just sits there and looks at him. Yeah, Big Big Jim and, and Silverwolf are are rivals, you mm-hmm. might say, even though um it, it's it's kind of that uh They're nemeses. Yeah, that coyote sheepdog kind of Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh you know, Big Jim's out for vengeance. Uh I believe right. he uh, killed his wife or first wife or something like that. Yeah, there's there's some sort of blood debt going on. Right, and so Big Jim is, you know, takes it upon himself because the authorities can't catch him. I can catch him. Right, and he pretty much dedicates his entire existence to catching Silver Wolf. Right, and and you know, there's close calls, but he never quite gets him. Right, uh, he goes out looking for him one day, comes back home, and hears that uh, Silver Wolf's been gotten, and he tried essentially tried to break into the house, and his wife shot him. You know, and it's like, well, well, fuck, right? Well, no, but then he realizes, okay, that's cool because she's badass, right? Yeah, she's badass. She's the wife of Big Jim. Yeah, it's only fitting. It's only fitting, old punk like Silver Wolf goes down like that. Yeah, but uh, as they are celebrating, uh, the wife decides to come clean. And lets her husband know that it's not Silver Wolf she killed. Silver Wolf used his magic to switch bodies with her son or their son. So she killed the body of Silver Wolf with the soul of her son. Mm-hmm. Essentially killing her son. And that was like something horrible to her. And. You know, you have the big reveal. And, of course, you can't have horror without at least one evil child somewhere. Right. Well, that, you know, the realization that she ended up killing her boy Mm -hmm. um, brought her psychic defenses, which probably weren't great to begin with, um, crashing down around her. Mm -hmm. Dad, mom wants to know when you're done with your thing. Sorry. (coughs) <coughs> That's the big hole. 
Yep. Uh, yeah, so... Psychic defenses come crashing down. Yeah, her psychic defenses come crashing down, and she's susceptible to the attack of the true civil wolf who has her lay the trap. Mm-hmm. For Big Jim. For Big Jim. Right. And, it, and uh, this was this was a rather short, uh, it was a fast-moving story. That's like three pages long. Yeah, and and very effective for the for the length of time. We've talked about this longer than the story is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This episode has gone on longer than it takes to to read most of these stories. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. A, a, a really good short piece of fiction is is better than a mediocre yeah. long piece. Oh, most definitely. So we're halfway through this book. Mm-hmm. About halfway through. Um, what, what do you What do you think? Good so far? Yeah, so far it's good. You know, I'm 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 digging, I'm I'm digging. You know the the setting. You know, because I kind of I kind of like westerns a little bit. Um, you know, there's just kind of that that vibe. Um, and I'm liking the way that it's not uh, doom and gloom kind of horror. It's not this existential dread. It's just like that, you know, honestly, that, that surprised me. Uh, because of the the Chaosium label, right? Not not that there's anything wrong with Chaosium, and I heartily endorse Chaosium all the time. But they they do tend to put out some doom and gloom stuff, right? But uh, this one's not. This one's uh, often just straightforward horror. Um, you know, there's a little bit of um, existential problems here, but by and large, it's just you know. Good classic, you know, weird tale. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's nothing that's gonna make, keep you up at night, but it's definitely something that's gonna make you put the book down and go, hmm. Yeah, interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm excited to uh, crack into the second half. Right on. And there you go. You can get this book on uh, Amazon. You can probably get it directly through the Chaosium website as well. Uh, this is Edge of Sundown. Yeah, I think. And I, I might be wrong, but I think that um, on DriveThruRPG currently, um, Chaosium has a discount on their fiction line. Ah. So I think you could probably pick this up on the cheap from jadthroughrpg.com uh, and and speaking of chaosium and weird westerns um the uh down darker trails is either out or soon to be out or something. Uh, the pdf is out the pdf for down darker trails is out yeah that's been out for a while and then you know we're just waiting for the physical yeah and then uh so you can you can actually it uses the uh, pulp cthulhu rule set I, it actually, I think you have it, it, yeah, you can you can pick and choose, but yeah, it seems like it's geared more toward pulp because it has special talents and stuff like that in it. But regardless, um, you you can use beyond uh, Edge of Sundown as like inspiration to create weird Western adventures for your RPG. Yeah, and and this just goes to show that you don't have to have Yig in there or you know a lost colony of uh deep ones or yeah or whatever there's you can play around with with it 
mm-hmm. without, without having to go there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so well, far, unless you want to go there, then go there. Well, what did you think, Steve? Of this, I liked it. Um, it's a lot. It's more. Like I said, it surprised me that it was a lot uh, more low key in terms of uh, the mythos and more weird than Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I'm, we still have half of it to go, so I'm sure there's stuff that's going on here. I see some recognizable names in here that are going to, you know, hit some Lovecraft stuff. I mean, there's, you know, there's uh, Jeffrey Thomas, you know, Pete Rollick is coming up. Uh, Brian and Sammons himself. And, you know, and a lot of these people do work well within the Lovecraftian kind of trope, especially Pete. So I'm sure it's in here. We just, you know, we got a little bit of taste with, uh, with, uh, Sylvia, mm-hmm. with her, her reanimation kind of story. Yeah. But overall, you know, pretty much staying away from, from the mythos. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's refreshing. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't yeah, all nice. have to be tentacles and, that's right. Oh, I mean, it's the old West, you know, death should come on a stinger or claws rather than a tentacles or fangs or fangs. Death awaits you with sharp, pointy, nasty teeth. I was thinking of snakes, but yeah, I was thinking, you know, why I'd normally gravitate towards the killer bunny. Was- All right. So yeah, one more time, edge of sundown <laughs> polished by chaosium. You can get it, uh, Steve was saying you can get it at drive through RPG. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it directly off the Chaosium website. Yep. Uh, definitely check it out. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Ciao.